Isn't that great? James has a beautiful way of sharing his story of transformation and finding Jesus here at Gateway. Well, we're concluding this series, hashtag no filter, and the idea is the most beautiful pictures are those where you don't have to doctor it up. Right? We say no perfect people allowed because we want you to be authentic with where you're at because that gives us the freedom and the possibility, the opportunity to actually move forward, to be transformed. But when you think back and you look at your memories, do you ever... Do you ever find something there that you wish wasn't? Maybe if you go to your phone, you start scrolling through pictures. Have you ever found pictures there you don't remember taking? Maybe you have a crazy roommate or kids that just took pictures of themselves. Or have you ever seen a picture and you remember the moment perfectly, but then you look closer and you realize, is my fly down in that photo? When I was in college, this was before the iPhone, really before the internet or anything cool, and we used to take pictures and we sent it off, and magically and mysteriously, we'd get it back a few days later, and then we could look at our pictures. Some of you might remember those days. And me and my roommates had taken a picture of ourselves. We invented the selfie. And we got back this picture, the four of us. We were living together and having a great time in college, and in the picture... I had this big smile and a booger in my nose. <laughs> From that point forward, they called me Booger. For the next three years, that was my nickname in college. And it, it expired, by the way. That's no longer my nickname. In fact, I, I encouraged them. They had to call me Boo. That was actually what they ended up calling me well before Beyonce or any of these others used that phrase. But it was shocking, right, to see this embarrassing photo and then maybe you've been looking through your photos and you found the photo bombs, right? Someone showing up behind you. I found a, a, a couple of good ones I wanted to share with you, all right? So here, here's the first one. You're at the beach, and then that kid shows up. <laughs> That's not what they were going for. All right, the next one. <laughs> it was a beautiful wedding until the groomsmen showed up. Right? How about this one? Don't you wish you were there when she saw that picture of herself? There's Tina Fey. Even the celebrities do it. And here she is again. I don't think they're taking that picture of you, Tina. And there's Dexter looming in the background, even more frightening. But oftentimes, if we're honest, when we consider life and we look backwards, there may be all sorts of people we want to blame, but really, it's our shadow that photobombs us the most. It's that part of us that creeps out when triggered. It's that part of us that seems to drag us back into the dark where we do the same things over and over and over, the same struggles, the same doubts, the same issues that seem to plague us and maybe even plague our parents or our grandparents. Some of us, we look backwards and we see choices that we regret and we're filled with shame or guilt, or maybe it's a struggle, ongoing struggle with anger, or pride, or the shortcuts that we've taken, this underlying brokenness. And if you're thinking, I'm so glad I don't have any of those issues, let me refer you back to last week's talk on blind spots <laughs> to help along the way. See, and sometimes our antidote to being stuck, to, to sabotaging our own lives, is we just try to change our environment. 
We get a new job, we move to a new city, we get new roommates, we get a new relationship. But in every one of those new situations, there's one thing they all still have in common, us. One of my college roommates used to say, wherever you go, there you are. Sounds like a terrible fortune cookie, right? <laughs> but it's true. There's another phrase, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. But we don't have to be doomed to repeat the past. We don't have to be haunted by our worst moments. God actually offers us something new. When we look at the ways of the world, what the world does, what we sometimes do to fix the past, to, to improve the future as we try to tweak things. There was first this movement for self-esteem and then self-help and now self-care. And every one of these situations, we're just tweaking things, making little tweaks. But in reality, the issue is bigger. It's actually problems at the foundation. My wife, Deborah, and I grew up in Texas, and then we got married and moved to the West Coast. And so when we lived there, it was certainly more expensive than where we grew up. And so even in Seattle or once we moved to Los Angeles, so many of our friends from high school or college were settling down and buying houses, and, and that just didn't seem possible for us. And, and so eventually we scraped together enough to, to buy a 900-square-foot, two-bedroom home built in 1928. We were so excited for this little home. But eventually we had two kids and this two bedroom house started to feel smaller and smaller. And so our hope was, our dream was a three bedroom. And, and about that same time, we felt led to move to Austin. And so as we started to look, we started thinking, oh my goodness, we might be able to afford three bedrooms. And we found a house, a beautiful house. It had three bedrooms and it was like a new house. It was built in 1956. But for us, we were so excited, and, and my parents came to visit. We were in escrow. Things were moving right along in the neighborhood we wanted, and we, we went to, to the house for the inspection. And the inspector seemed to have a, a real concern on his face. And he brought me over. My dad was standing there with me, and he's like, I, I need to tell you, this, this house has problems with its foundation. So in that moment, I had to act like I knew what that meant because my dad was standing right next to me. And I said, well, if you were me, what would you do? He said, run. You see, when there's a problem with the foundation, the entire house could collapse. This isn't a cosmetic issue. This isn't just a new paint job. Something is wrong with the foundation. This house may not last. Well, fortunately, there was another house that we liked, also with three bedrooms, and so we landed there instead. But see... Some of us try to treat issues with the foundation by making tweaks. See, there's an old management proverb that says, your system is designed perfectly to get the results that you are currently getting. See, it turns out that photobombing, self-sabotaging is the unfortunate side effect of an issue with the foundation. And so I want you to listen to what Jesus offers because he does not offer us tweaks. He doesn't give us the five ways to a more awesome life. Listen instead to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Some of you are like, all right, that's why I don't like Christianity. Jesus is such a buzzkill. This is morbid, talking about death and the cross. If there is a God, he just wants me to be miserable. But let's look deeper at this image. Start with the strongest image. He's talking about taking up your cross. Now, when you and I hear that, we can't help but know the rest of the story, that Jesus went on and died on a cross and miraculously rose from the dead. And so when we hear this, we think of Jesus on the cross. We think of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But when Jesus said this, that had not yet happened. In fact, they did not expect their rescuer, their Messiah, to willingly die on a cross. They were ready for him to get rid of the oppressive Roman government. They were ready for revolution. So when they hear Jesus describe this idea, if you want to follow me, then you need to carry your cross, what it brought to their minds was their current climate. See, they were living under an oppressive empire, the Roman Empire. And anytime there was a revolution and there were many attempts at overthrow, of, of freedom, they would pull together everybody they thought were guilty and then some, and they would crucify them. Not just one or two, but hundreds, even thousands of Jews oppressed by the Roman government were crucified. You couldn't go too many days without seeing someone carrying a cross. So what did Jesus mean by this? Well, Jesus was a brilliant communicator. He draws on images and experiences, and he doesn't always spell it out. And he doesn't always spell it out so that we will wonder, well, what is he doing here? Why bring up this image? Think about it for a moment. If you are having to carry your cross, what are you thinking about? Oh, I forgot to get the groceries. No. Oh, I can't wait for the new episodes of Stranger Things to come out. You don't think of things like that. When you're carrying your cross, all that you can think of is this is the end of my life. You reprioritize everything into what really matters. Suddenly, you're not living a life consumed by self, but concerned with those you will be leaving behind. See, what Jesus is inviting them to do is to move out of this self obsession that we have into a life fully surrendered. See, what ended up happening is that the kingdom of evil was destroyed because Jesus willingly took up his cross. He didn't fight them with violence and overthrow them with rebellion. He won by willingly suffering on the cross. And we actually see that over and over in culture. Gandhi took the teachings of Jesus. Dr. King took the teachings of Jesus. And civil disobedience was a willingness to sacrifice for the good of others. See, Jesus invites us to stop getting stuck in obsession with self, with having confidence in, in our own ability to lead our life, but instead shift our confidence to trust him, to let him lead us and guide us. 
about 150 years ago or so, Austin was this new town. There was just a million people. The broken spoke had just opened. <laughs> and, and actually, there was this beautiful green belt, right, in the springs. And, and this young man was on a hike. It was his first time in Austin. And as he was hiking, he, he found himself getting a bit turned around. I mean, there was a trail, but there were multiple options there in the green belt. And, and so as he continued to walk, he felt like he was getting closer to home and then didn't see anything he recognized and started getting a little bit nervous. And then he ran into this older gentleman. He introduced himself as Uncle Billy. And they sat down together, shared a meal around the campfire. And, and afterwards, the young man said, you know what, uh, I think it's time that we go. It's starting to get dark. It's starting to get cold. I don't want to die out here in this beautiful green belt. And so the old man got up and gathered his stuff and they started going. And the young man just started forging ahead and, and he kept turning to the left then he would turn to the right. And after it got a little bit darker, a little bit colder, he finally just said to this new friend, to Uncle Billy, I think I'm lost. Do you have any idea how we can get out of here? And Uncle Billy says, I think so. And so he started to the right and it was getting darker and getting colder and the young man said are you, are you sure that's right and I think so and he turns left and it's getting darker and colder and Uncle Billy are you sure this is right yeah I, I think so and then finally they come into a clearing there's a couple people there and it, it was where the young man had originated from and he was so excited and and the people looked at him and could tell that he, he felt like he'd survived uh, almost you know, calamitous experience. And he pointed to this older man, Uncle Billy, and said, you guys won't believe this older man just saved my life. He helped me out of this trail. And they said, well, I, of course he could. That's Uncle Billy. That's William Barton. It, it's Barton Springs is named after him. A few hundred years from now, there'll be Barton Creek Mall. <laughs> By the way, this is not a true story. I almost used Gus Frew, but I don't think very many of you would know who I was talking about. But it could be a true story. Because how many times have we taken the lead in life and asked God to bless us as we make the wrong turn? When in reality, if we were just to follow the one who's come before us, who knows the path, we would be so much more amazed at the life Intended. Listen to this passage from Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the central message of Christianity doesn't just stop with the idea that God loves us, although he does. It doesn't just stop with the idea that the creator of the universe came and lived among us, lived a perfect life and brought healing and taught with authority and ultimately gave his life on the cross and then rose from the dead. That's the most miraculous thing that's ever happened. But what's even more miraculous is that his spirit actually comes to guide us, that he is the pioneer of the path that you and I are walking on. 
These aren't just ideas to believe in. He is a person that we can follow, that we can know personally. He didn't come to start a religion. He didn't come to give us tablets. He came to give us life, a life found in relationship with him. The path to real life is Jesus. He is life. We can have confidence in him and following after him. No matter what happens around us, we can trust him. Listen to this passage in Romans. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So you'd experience the kind of life you were created to experience, the life that God designed for you and me, actually requires letting him lead us. Letting go of the reins of our life and asking him to guide us. And there's such an amazing amount of proof of this person named Jesus and the fact that he rose from the dead. If you are here and you are skeptical of, of any of that, I just want to encourage you just to dive into the search. We'd love to help you on that journey. There's so many amazing proofs that you can discover if you have an open heart and open mind. But one of the greatest proofs that Jesus is alive, that he didn't just die on the cross, but that he rose from the dead, is that he actually is transforming so many of us. The greatest proof is some of you. That you've met him. He's been real to you. I've shared this story before, but I grew up in Texas and in my day, you went to church before you watched the Cowboys. That's what we did every Sunday. And something tragic happened. When I was 10, my, my grandfather died. He was young, and it was a shock to all of us. And I remember being in church one day, because that's what you did. And I remember the pastor talking about what happens when you die? Why well, it scared me, to be honest. So I went to the front because I was now thinking about life and death in ways I'd never thought about before. And I said yes to following Jesus because that sounded like a smart move. <laughs> I wanted fire insurance. And I have to tell you that in that moment, I believe as a 10-year-old, I understood as much as a 10-year-old could understand. But as I began to grow in my faith, although it was a stunted growth, eventually I started to realize that this relationship with God isn't just about what happens to you when you die, that, that actually he brings life that begins right now. And at the age of 17 is when it all started to click that I didn't look forward to the peace that one day would come, the joy that would one day come on the other side of eternity, but that he offers joy and peace and love and kindness that's transformative. He's not trying to tweak my life. He's trying to transform it from the inside out. He gave me a new heart. And it's, it's so hard to try to describe 
Have you ever tried to invite like one of your best friends from work to meet one of your best friends from high school? It never works. You try to convey how cool your friend at work is to your friend from high school and they just don't see it. They think you are no longer cool or what used to be cool is not on your list anymore. It's so hard to convey what knowing another person is like to someone who has not yet met that person. But I'm telling you, the greatest relationship in my life is with Jesus. And I know that's true for many of you. But here's what happens. If we're honest, what happens is we experience forgiveness and life and newness, and then we get busy. And then something bad happens. And then the next thing you know, God bless me as I go down this path becomes our prayer. But the beautiful thing about community and even gathering together on the first day, this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was on a Sunday. And we gather to remember that we have new life. We're not who we used to be because of whose we are. There's a passage, 2 Corinthians 5, that says this. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This new creation is you. It's us when we say yes to Jesus. And so I want to do something we don't necessarily normally do. I want to invite you to actually say a prayer in your heart. If this is how you feel, if this is truly where you're at right now, God, I need you, just in your heart. Forgive me. Jesus, lead me. Maybe that's something you've prayed every day for many, many years, and it's becoming more and more natural. Your default is no longer the shadow. That's less and less happening in your life. You're sensing him every day, guiding you into new adventures, comforting you when you need him too. For others of us, maybe we've wandered away from that. See, some of us have rejected the Christianity that, that was introduced to us that was more about religion and wasn't a relationship. We've actually rejected a caricature of who Jesus truly is. And maybe for some of you, it's a reconnection, a recommitment and for others of us, maybe that's, that prayer is something new, but it's something we mean.